Good morning, my name is Harry Strauss, and for those of you who perhaps don't know me, I used to be part of the Forest Grove staff, pastoral staff, and retired about uh, three years ago. But then in a providential way, I found myself on staff at uh, Horizon College and Seminary here in Saskatoon. And in my final, or in my transition out of Forest Grove, I used to joke that uh, my new office would be about 40 or 50 meters, meters removed from my uh, Forest Grove office. And uh, well, that is finally coming to pass. Uh, we are moving into our offices, um, assuming there are no glitches here. We're moving into our new offices on Wednesday, January the 13th, 10 days from now. And we start classes in our new building on Monday, January the 18th. And so we look forward to being uh, neighbors with uh, Forest Grove Community Church. As a school, we have 65 students, full-time equivalent, with about 50 in the college, with about 15 in the seminary. In terms of total number of students, full-time and part-time, we would be more about 85 or 90 students. And I serve as the registrar, doing so with a very capable team around me, and uh, I also serve as a director for field education. So when I received the invitation to share today, I was immediately drawn to Revelation 1, 17 and 18, a very appropriate word for the season that we're in. Uh, it begins by saying, and we're going to focus largely on the first part of that verse, uh, which simply says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, and this is a vision of Jesus Christ that John has. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and now look. In other words, look, look, and consider this, and now look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hades referring to the abode of the dead. So COVID-19 obviously has brought a great deal of anxiety, uh, fear, and stress. Uh, collective stress that is out there and stress and anxiety and fears that we feel individually. I've been tested for COVID twice, uh, negative both times. First time it was with the drive-through where I arrived about 90 minutes early uh, on, the, on Thatcher Avenue there and I already had about 50 cars in front of me and by the time I ultimately drove through and had my test about two hours later there must have been at least 100 cars behind me. Uh, being exclusively in my car, I was somewhat insulated from the worry and concern we might see on people's faces, but still given the lineup and the context for the lineups, one could sense kind of this collective fear and anxiety that was there. Second time was by way of an appointment where I was required to go to the building located on the corner of Thatcher and Marquis, and I tell you, that was a somber place. There was no laughter there, and you could sense the fear in the room by those who were doing the testing and those who were being tested, probably about 15 or 20 of us in the building at one given point of time. Um, but you could sense the fear, not a place for a smile on anyone's face seemingly. And I had symptoms, I had symptoms at that time that I thought were COVID-related, and given some of my health challenges, uncertain that if I came down with a severe case of COVID, whether I would actually recover. So 
your mind goes into the worst case scenario and then there's a great deal of fear and anxiety associated with that. But in the midst of this, we have this word from Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.17, to not be afraid. The interesting thing is, the context of Revelation, the interpretive lens that I come with and the stream that I follow, is that Revelation is written against or in the context of anticipated suffering, oppression, persecution, and even martyrdom, all written against the backdrop of end times, coming to the people of God. It was not COVID, but the early church had cause to be afraid. There were a number of people that had already died, and people that had died in the 60s with Nero, and now during the time of Domitian, and even there's reference made to Antipas, my faithful witness, my faithful martyr. And so out of that context... There's a certain sense of, un, certainly a sense of fear that would have been there with the early church. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. And equally, he says to us, uh, do not be afraid as well. Well, how do we do that? It's maybe easier said than done. For me, and I bring this message largely as a confessional or maybe a testimony in terms of some of the pictures that are there in Revelation that have helped me and continue to help me to mitigate the whole matter of anxiety and fear that might be there and to embrace courage and confidence and a sense of uh, tomorrow and hope and promise. So I want to share those three pictures with you and actually it becomes a little bit more than three pictures. Um, but... I will also put them in the form of three resolves. So I'm not coming with resolutions for you for New Year's, New Year's uh, Year, the new year, but nonetheless, three resolve statements that grow out of this. So, picture number one. Jesus Christ walks among us. Jesus Christ walks among us. The vision of Jesus saying, do not be afraid in chapter 1, moves directly into the vision of him walking and talking among the lampstands, which are the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. There are no chapter divisions between chapter 1 and 2 and 2 and 3. And Jesus, among his first words to these churches that have cause to be afraid, he says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks walks among the seven golden lampstands. And the seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches, the people of God. So my Bible is a red-letter edition, which means that the words of Jesus are all printed in red font. And so from 117 on, right through the end of the chapter, it's all red, which reflects the engagement of Jesus Christ. There is his presence. There is his engagement and in a sense, when you look at Revelation 2 and 3, you get this sense that Jesus is literally in the faces of these people in this early church with these seven different churches uh, that are mentioned in those two chapters. So Revelation 2 and 3, you know, you, when you reflect on it a little bit, it's this kind of this, this sense that you get that you cannot get away from the presence of Jesus. He is there. And he walks among the seven lampstands, fully engaged with the people of God. True 2,000 years ago, 
and equally true for today as well. I mean, there are other places in Scripture that indicate that as well. One example that I would give is from the Old Testament, Psalm 139. As a young man, I memorized psalm, this psalm in my first semester of studies at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And I have these wonderful memories of coming out of the library in the evening, 9 or 10 o'clock at night, sitting on one of the benches under that warm Texas sky, surrounded by magnolia and pecan trees, and running Psalm 139 through my mind. And you have this section in Psalm 139 that leads into verse 7 and following, but just before, you've enclosed me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot attain to it. And I think, then it goes into this line, where can I go from your spirit? And the, the, the answer is obvious. I can't get away from the Spirit of God. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and I, in other words, in the east, or if I settle on the far side of the sea and to the west, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Revelation 1-2 is kind of in that vein of Jesus walking among the seven golden lampstands. And as he walked among those believers and kind of really the spirit of Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? Equally of Revelation 2 and 3, where can I go from your presence, Jesus Christ? Where can I get away from you? I can't get away from you. You literally walk among the lampstands ever aware of their worries and concerns with the early church, and equally mindful of our worries and concerns 2020 and 2021. So my resolve, my resolve is I will endeavor to keep thinking in terms of Jesus walking among us and keep on reflecting on that picture of Revelation 2 and 3. Picture two is Jesus Christ reigns from the throne. Chapters 2 and 3 obviously flow into chapters 4 and 5, the throne room scenes. Of the approximately 50 times that the word throne is used in the New Testament, 40 of those are right here in Revelation, with many of them right in chapters 4 and 5. We are given this throne room scene right at the onset of this book, where God, the Spirit, is making this towering statement that in the midst of this, of this suffering and oppression and persecution and potential martyrdom, God is on his throne and God reigns. The people of God are reminded of that consistently and constantly in this book. It's true of God the Father in Revelation chapter 4 and certainly true of Jesus Christ identified as the lion and more perhaps significantly as the lamb in chapter 5 and worshipped as the one who reigns in all supremacy. Revelation 5, 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And the implications of Jesus Christ being on the throne then are carried all the way through the book of Revelation in a number of different ways. I give you one example. I would give you the example of chapter 11 and the picture that is there. 
And I recognize chapter 11 is one of the more challenging chapters of Revelation to interpret and different ways in which people look at this chapter, but it's the story about the two witnesses. And I follow the interpretive stream that the two witnesses are representative of the early church and, again, the suffering that they would face. But despite efforts to harm them, and you see these efforts in chapter 11 to harm these two witnesses, to kill them, they are immortal till their assignment is done. But once their assignment is done, you get this picture of a beast that comes out of the abyss, attacks them, kills them, and for three and a half days, their bodies lie in the public square of the city. But then we get this miraculous event that pictures the resurrection of these two witnesses. And really, it's a picture of the resurrection for all believers in Christ, regardless of how they pass away. So in Revelation 11, verse 11, but after three and a half, but after three and a half days, the breath of, of life, the, the pneuma, the pneuma of God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up into heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. It's a picture of the resurrection of the believer in Jesus Christ. And it connects back to our initial verse, 1, 17 and 18. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And I am the one who's really on the throne. And I am sovereign. And, and I am the living one. And I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold, I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, Jesus is saying... What is there to fear ultimately? Do not fear. But I fear, and I suspect others of you fear as well. My resolve is I'll endeavor to keep thinking of Jesus, keep looking at that picture as Jesus, as being on his throne with, with full reign over death, as picture in Revelation chapter 11. And then the final picture I want to relate to you is Jesus Christ as at the center of our new tomorrow. So I'm going all the way to the end of the book from chapter 19, verse 10 through to 22, 5. And here we have multiple pictures with the primary ones, Jesus coming in on the white horse in chapter 19. We get this interlude of a thousand years with martyred believers reigning with Christ in chapter 20. And then you get this 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 new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem with Christ right at the center. There is something about dwelling on that new and preferred tomorrow that gives courage, resilience, energy, confidence for today. There's something to be said about meditating on chapter 21 right through the 22.5 and looking at those pictures. So, Two or three verses related to this, beginning in verse 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down a heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's a place, it's a place, this new Jerusalem where the Lord dwells with us. It's a place that shines with the glory of God. The word brilliance is used. It is a place, and is this literal or figurative? Well, you know, you could go either way really on this, but it's meant to have an impact in terms of even how enormous it is. So when you get to 2115 and the measurements, if you were to take those measurements in terms of this new Jerusalem, it would be from Winnipeg to Vancouver, from Vancouver down to San Diego, from San Diego over to Dallas, and then from Dallas-Fort Worth area all the way back up to Winnipeg. And it's because it's a cube. It's as high as it is wide or as it's long. And it's meant to be an eye-popping experience when we're looking at Revelation 21 about the, the immensity and the enormity of this new Jerusalem that is pictured there. It is colorful and vivid. The walls are made with jasper. Have you ever heard of a building being built all with jasper? Foundations are decorated with all kinds of precious jewels. It's a place free of fear. There's no night there. Further, the gates will never be shut. There's no need for a security system. There's, there's no need for a brigadier in, in, in a place like this. And then when you get into chapter 22, it's a place of healing. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. So what's John inviting us to do? What's the Spirit of God inviting us to do in the midst of fear and anxiety is really is to be imagining heaven and thinking about heaven. It's interesting, last summer I spent a fair amount of time in chapter 21 of Revelation and then concurrent with that, I ended up reading a book that uh, kind of worked with it. Uh, Judy and I were actually in Regina. Judy was in the Safeway or Sobe store for a little bit. I had the CBC radio on, and I was listening to uh, a show, and they were talking about some of their best shows over the last year or two. And they were talking to this woman who had a near-death experience and wrote about um, her experience. And I was so fascinated by it that I, I thought I caught her name, and I wanted to get her book. I went on to Amazon and couldn't find it. But then as I was sort of looking around at other books, I came across this title, Imagine Heaven near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you by John Burke. And the thing that caught my attention on this, and this is the stat as of a couple of weeks ago, on Amazon, out of 3,789 ratings, it has a score, a stellar score of 4.8 out of 5. John Burke, the author, is a pastor who reviewed stories and studies on near-death experiences, doing so from a biblical Christian perspective. Now, I've read, I don't know, four or five books on near-death experiences before. I've never read a book where someone kind of looks at all of Scripture together and brings a biblical perspective and in a very balanced way. But, I, you know, when I read that and had that in connection with uh, Revelation 21, it Infused, infused my life with an added sense of courage and confidence about tomorrow. And even John Burke, the writer, he says, how you think about he heaven affects everything in life. 
And he includes this line, what you fear or what you don't. And what I'm suggesting is the more that we look at a picture such as what is in Revelation 21 right through to 22, 5, no, that's not necessarily, will not necessarily take away all of the fear and anxiety that we have in life, but it can bring it down to an appropriate level. And where the confidence level is here, the courage level is here, and the fear goes down and down, and anxiety is there. So I need to keep looking at pictures about heaven. And so my resolve, I will endeavor to keep thinking of Jesus as being at the center of that new tomorrow, as reflected in Revelation 21 and 22. So the message is, do not be afraid. Jesus Christ walks among us. He's on his throne holding the keys of death. And he's at the center of our new tomorrow. My resolve is to keep thinking on those pictures, which I believe is the real world. And I use those words, real world, quite intentionally here because it reminds me of a story of Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson passed away now, but pastor, writer, he's the one who translated the message. Um, when he was pastoring, after worship service, he was at the back of the sanctuary and people were leaving. And there was a congregant who, on leaving, uh, said to him at the end of the service, he said, well, pastor, time to get back to the real world. And Eugene Peterson bristled with that. Well, yeah, it's the real world out there, but hasn't worship been the real, real world? And I would like to suggest to you as well that Revelation is the real world. When you look at an eternal timeline, it is the real world. And there's great value, great profit. When Jesus says, do not be afraid to be thinking on the pictures that are here. So may you find the resolve to keep looking at pictures of Jesus Christ. Amen.